this is a man i feel feels official feel doesn't fancy. it that's what i said this is like going back to the olden days this is like like a real studio Hello and welcome to Let's Pod This. My name is Andy Moore. Welcome back to the show. It's been nearly a month. It's been more than a month since our last episode, a month and a half. Well, we're excited to be back. Um, joined by my two lovely co-hosts, Dr. Scott Melson. Hello, sir. What is up? Happen- uh, you know, uh, We're here in person. We're recording. We've got microphones. I've got a mixer here. It's been make, so long. Yeah, Bailey Perkins is uh, Bailey Perkins, right? Excuse me, is also with us. Hello, hello, Andy. It's like the reunion tour. It is a reunion tour. Right, we're like share. Right, we're <laughs> like we're like all here in the same place. Yeah, together. It's yeah. been like a couple of years since we've been in person all together to record. Uh-huh. Yeah. So this is really special. Why has it been so long? <laughs> What's Nothing's what, happened over what, the past couple why, of years. Why did we stop recording together in person? Mostly intercontinental travel, I think. Is that is, what it yeah, is? Yeah, that's okay. what it was. Too many, too many vacations. That's right. <laughs> well, um, this is our first episode since the 2022 election, believe it or not, um, because, gosh, it's been busy, and we, I think we've all been tired. So, listeners, uh, thanks for hanging with us. Uh, hopefully, this showed up in your podcast feed, and you thought, oh, I thought they quit. Uh, but no, we just uh, took a break. It's been... There was an election? <laughs> it has been both professionally and personally busy, I think. Um, you know, I had to... I had, to, I did have to travel for some... For work uh, a couple of times. And Scott, you are a doctor. This is a busy time of year to be a pediatrician. What's it called when you go to Hawaii and say it's for work? Uh, it, you know, that's what it was. <laughs> I mean, that's true. I was at a conference. Look at uh, me. I'm going to a conference. I'm it's not complaining about it, but I did, you know, I was there with a toddler. And as people with kids know, when you when you travel with children, it's not a vacation. It's that's just a, a trip. It's a business trip. She 100% wanted to drown herself in the ocean. She loved it. Like that scene on Moana at the beginning when toddler Moana is like walking <laughs> to the ocean and is like, ooh, and like keeps going after that's what Margot did, except the ocean did not like part for her. The ocean wanted to suck her away. So she thought it was a, a Disney moment, and it wasn't. Oh my God, it was terrifying. I mean, it's adorable, but terrifying. Do you know I've only been to Hawaii once? And Me I'm, too. I, I'm pretty sure I was Margot's age. I okay. might have been a little younger. Yeah. Uh, I'm told. It's, I'm told it was. I'm told it was a good trip. <laughs> you know, here's my takeaway. So we were on Maui, um, and it was a, a, a. It was I was there for a conference, which is how it became possible for me to even go. And Maui is a lot um, less lush than I thought. Like most of the island is in a drought, and it looked like the the um, uh, the vegetation was just as brown as it is here in Oklahoma. Like we're flying in, and I was like, "Wait a second, wrong flight, wrong plane." I was like, "I've been misled by Hawaii's tourism department." Now we did travel on the North Shore up to like the actual rainforest, and that was looks like Jurassic Park, and that was what I expected. But most of the island, just driving around, I was like, this is not attractive at all. It really was kind of dingy. So is it just Maui that's in a drought? I don't know. It's I mean, so it's because of the, the leeward and the windward side of the uh-huh. island and, and how the, the moisture comes up on the north side, dumps on the north side of the big volcano, uh, and then the backside is dry which is what happens like at the rockies right yeah. and everywhere else it's the same principle but just on one little island so but most of the islands in the middle and it's a big dry area and i was like this sucks island meteorology is interesting oh it was wild it was wild yeah 
same thing. I was in San Diego, which I know is also like, you know, semi-tropical, but that was for another conference. And their weather report had to give the report for the coast, for the city, for like the Inland Empire, and then for the mountains. So they had like four different forecasts each day for like different. (laughs) And I was like, oh, in Oklahoma, it's just like windy and then hot or cold. Yeah. I was supposed to go to Philadelphia for a conference. Really? Yeah. Recently? Yeah, but then I got COVID. I mean, it's oh, October. That's right. Oh, yeah, that's right. So the the vid canceled my conference. Well, the city of brotherly love uh, missed you. Oh, yeah, they did. <laughs> I would have brought some I would have brought some Oklahoma. A cheesesteak sounds delicious right now. Indeed. Uh, good cheesesteaks are to beat. Bailey, have you traveled recently? Not recently, but it's definitely on the to-do list. Hopefully have, in 2023. Yeah. Do you have any holiday travel plans? My family's actually coming to me this year. Hey. So this is the first Christmas in our new home. So we built a home in April and my mom and my stepdad and my grandma, I have an aunt flying in from New Jersey and my little brother will be coming over and then we'll have my mother-in-law and husband. So it'll be uh, a first for all of us to, to do that together and prepare meals my kitchen and, and all exciting. of that. That's so, exciting. All right. Yeah. Well, great. I can't can't wait to hear and see pictures from that. Well, as we uh, jump into this, let's talk about the election. As uh, listeners, you may have noticed, Scott apparently forgot, we did have an election last month for, it was the midterm elections, or it's not referred to it, non-presidential. So the governor on down here in Oklahoma, all of the statewide offices. And in the rare occasion, we had two U.S. Senate races That's right. at once. And we actually didn't have all statewide races because one, well, we did, but one of the races was decided in because no one filed against him, right? So Insu- Glenn Mulready uh, yeah. maintained his position as insurance commissioner. Yeah, because he didn't have an opponent. So the all the other statewide electeds. I should have run against him. Just to get on the ballot. Yeah, but just to give voters a chance, right? Yeah. Well, that would have been costly, so I'm glad you didn't. Yeah. Oh, I wouldn't have campaigned. <laughs> I would have just been like, yeah, I'll throw, my na- I'll throw my name in the hat. And you would have received roughly 35% 30, of the vote. Right, 30% <laughs> of the vote. Uh, that's right. And so I think we can talk a little bit about some of the what the data has shown us thus far, right? So as listeners probably know, Governor Stitt won re-election. And I will talk about this first, but as – because I have a new analogy about this, Scott. Um, I I think we all recognize that comparing presidential elections to midterm or gubernatorial elections is kind of like comparing apples to oranges, right? They're very different. They're both elections. They're both fruit, but they're very different fruits. Mm-hmm. Um, I would argue that comparing a gubernatorial incumbent re-election campaign like this, right, where someone's in often running for re-election, is very different than an open seat like we had four years ago. Absolutely. So they're both, they're both, they're more similar than presidential, but it's so maybe it's like two two types of apples, like Red Delicious and Granny Smith, right? So like they're both apples, but some of them are more sour than others, and I think. Well, there's an advantage in one, and the other is a, a blank slate of who yeah. would have the advantage. Right. So there's been a lot of comparison in the news and just you know. Uh, other armchair politician analysts like us, I guess, that have said, oh, well, turnout was down from 2018. And indeed it was. But 2018 was an open seat, right? There was no incumbent. 
Uh, and so it was in 2018 was in fact rather high, like for gubernatorial elections, unusually high. And so when you compare this election to other similar elections, like other um, other gubernatorial re-election campaigns, this was actually one of the highest uh, of, of turnout for those. So turnout was low overall, just over 50%, 50.2% statewide. But when you look at turnout compared to the most similar types of elections, it was actually up a, a pretty decent margin. Um, in fact, in other cases, I mean, it was up roughly 200,000 votes. So if you guys remember way back in the beginning of the year, I have it written down here. My guess for turnout this year was 989,058 people. And in fact, turnout for that race was 1.1 million, right? So I I missed it by 270,000 votes. So, so if you grade us in absolute terms, we got an F. But if you grade us on the curve, right? Uh, we we probably go solid solid B. Yeah, maybe yeah. B, maybe B plus. Maybe yeah, hmm. that's good. And and you know the margin of victory um, is something else people look at. I, I've pulled up the margin of victory in gubernatorial elections between the top two candidates, which has always been a Republican and a Democrat, going back to 1970. Now the average, the average margin, right? The the average number of votes more the winner got is about 143,000. This year, uh, it was 157. So so Stitt overperformed the average margin of victory. But um, again, when you look back at, um, at re-election versus open seats, usually the margin is closer. So like in 2018, the margin was only 143,000 because it was an open seat. So it's a, it is a tighter race when it's an open seat. It was a really, it was a really interesting, yeah, it's just really interesting election. I mean, like, if you take kind of, you know, overall, overall, you know, we're doing election reflections, right? So I thought, and I don't think I was alone in this, I think um, many, uh, many pundits, both professional and amateur, um, thought that, okay, Democrats nationally were probably going to have a pretty rough night. Um, but I think there was a, a real feeling here locally that the Democrats could be could do really well um, and possibly pick up a, a statewide seat for the first time in a minute. Either the governor's uh, uh, the governor's office, the state superintendent of public instruction, or or maybe an outside chance at both. And in fact, uh, the opposite happened. <laughs> right? Democrats nationally had an historically good night in, in terms of um, you know how the party uh, that holds the White House typically does in an election year, um, um, the, the Demo- Democrats nationally did did really uh, outstanding. Um, and and here locally, we had, um, you know, we had we had uh, the three the three the three Dems that I think people thought had the most chance to have a strong showing uh, statewide races here. Kendra Horn, Troy Hoffmeister and Jim Nelson. Um, I mean, it wasn't close for 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 any of them. Yeah. Um, um, you know, Vicky Behenna won the DA's race, which, um, you know, I mean, I think I'm on, I think I'm on record saying the week before the election, I say we got, you know, I think the Dems will pick up one of the three, at least state super governor's race or DA. And, and they did. Um, so I'll hang my hat on that. But, um, but I think there was a lot of surprise at how, 
how um, strongly Governor Stitt fared against Dr. Altmeister in particular. Now, we did take a look at the polling. <clears throat> we took a look at the polling the week before, and there were two polls by A-plus rated pollsters that showed the governor uh, winning by double digits. They were the only two that showed that. But there were two that showed the governor winning by double digits, and that's and that's what happened. So, um, you know, I don't know that it's as, it's as straightforward as saying the polls were wrong, um, but certainly some of the polls were wrong. And I think it's important to also note that it wasn't a blowout in the governor's race. So although the outcomes didn't reflect what the varying polls were saying of it was going to be a landslide or was going to be super close. I think it's important to note how Republicans in some of the statewide races fared. So there were about 30 plus point gaps for some of the U.S. Senate races and things like that. But for the governor's race, it was just a 14 point difference. And I think if the race wasn't as competitive as it became over the three months leading up to the election, I think that gap could have been, you know, 25 point plus Mm -hmm. versus just a 14% lead. I mean, for for sure. But at the same time, at the same time, man, she ran a well-funded, well-organized, professional statewide campaign had, you know, depending on which headline you believe, between 25 and $50 million of outside spending occurring on her behalf. And she cut it to 14 points. Right. (laughs) Right? I I guess the question is then, like, was the money worth it? Right? Like, that's the question. Or where did the spending happen, right? Because we saw a lot of billboards. We saw a lot of TV ads. Mm -hmm. But how much of it went to the GOTV efforts to mobilize people to get to the polls. And I think that's something that's significant, right? Mm-hmm. Scott, I mean, Scott is pointing at Bailey in, in affirmation. Yes. I mean, I think, I think money, you know, I mean, I, you know, um, I, you know, Andy, we, we were texting a few days after the, after the election and I was, I was, I was going, I mean, like do campaign, like do campaigns even matter? Right. Like do you like mm-hmm. in Oklahoma right now in statewide races, do campaigns even matter, or is it just that party ID is so strong that no amount of advertising and messaging and and field work is going to change that? And really what it comes down to is who can turn out their voters. And right now, the R's have way more voters than we do. Um, and their voters religiously vote straight yeah, yeah, yeah. tickets, right? I, I will also say, too, and this is to you, this is, I think— this is this is in support of that point, Bailey. So somebody, a a, 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 a Paul, I was talking to somebody who kind of does this a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, a few days after the election, put it to me this way, and I was like, "That is really interesting." I'm gonna ask you two. Um, so we're we're all familiar with Joy Hoffmeister, and now that she's won re-election, I'll ask this question: Who do we think is who do we think is more conservative, Leslie Osborne or Joy Hoffmeister? Oh, that's interesting. That's a really good question. Like, forget forget what party they are, but, but like issues. Who is more conservative, or if you want to say who is more progressive, uh, Joy Hoffmeister or Leslie Osborne? I think that's a hard question to answer from the lens of the differences in their work, right? I mean, I mean, I mean for sure. I mean, I'm for sure. But I'm just saying, forget 
job, what they're running for, but ideologically, right. like if you're going to put them on the spectrum, who's more to the left and who's more to the right? I'll be honest. Like I that I know Leslie and I don't know Joy personally very sure. well. And I don't know Leslie that well. But, well, and but let's, I, let's take that out of it. Let's take based on what we know about their public profiles, where they have – where offices they've served in and what they've done there and in ways that they've campaigned and messaged, who would you just guess? Not even thinking about like, you know, if you're talking about campaigning messaging, then it's Leslie Osborne because she has campaigned conservatively because that's what you have to do to win in the state of Oklahoma. Yeah. I was going to say like my, (laughs) this is just us being a real pain in in Scott's ass is that the, the truth is politics makes it difficult to know where someone's true, allegiances lie right because they're going to present sure. the version they sure. think is going to be the most electorally successful sure i guess i guess the, the point that i would make is so you have joy hoffmeister who's been a republican state super for eight years switched parties i mean we, we all know she switched parties because she wasn't going to get she wouldn't get out of the primary on the on the our side so she switched parties to try and take on the governor from a, a position of of being able to run as the moderate, I think we all know that she is. Um, Leslie Osborne was budget chair in the House, right, and basically got removed from leadership in the House because she was bucking leadership and was considered too moderate, I think, on things like taxes, et cetera. Well, I think she was just, I don't know if it was about moderation. I think she was not following instructions from leadership, and they didn't like that. They wanted someone to toe the line. Fair enough. Fair enough. And she disagreed on those policies. But those were fiscal policies. Those are not social policies. And I think we often today assign someone's partisan bias based on social leanings, not on fiscal leanings. Sure. So let's say let's say that let's say that uh, let's say that Joy is more progressive. Okay. Is she two hundred and fifty thousand votes more progressive? Than Leslie? Mm-hmm. Okay, that's a better question. Because that's the difference. You look on this election, I mean, I, I don't think that's fair because the race that Leslie Osborne was running was different than the race that Joy Hoffmeister was running. Because people showed up to vote in the governor's race. They were not showing up to vote in the labor commission race because if you ask people what the labor commission does, a lot of people probably couldn't tell you, sure. right? And sure. so when it comes to the campaign that had the most amount of funding put behind it, that had the most notoriety, it was definitely going to be that governor's race. And the real um, competition, I guess you could say, was in the primary election sure. for that race of her versus Sean Rob- or the Patriot, right? <laughs> the Sean the Patriot Roberts. And you're, I mean, you're, you're both right. Like it's not a, it's not an apples to apples comparison. And of course the race matters a lot. But I, but I guess the point, the point that I'm trying to make is, I mean, I think the party ID matters a ton. Yeah, I guess yeah. I would say, I would say, I think Joanne Leslie are probably almost identical in terms of where they would fall on major issues is my, mm-hmm. is my guess. If you put a truth theorem in both of them, right. But there's 250,000 people that are totally fine voting for Leslie Osborne that were not fine with joining for voting for Joy Hoffmeister. And in fact, there's probably, a, I think about that many people who presumably voted for Joy Hoffmeister four years ago. Because and, of straight ticket voting. And didn't, and didn't vote for her. For, for her I think time. it's about what? 41% of people who voted Republican voted straight ticket. The selection mm-hmm. cycle. I think it was higher than that, but it was. Uh, I think your point is well taken, and this is my. I don't know my beef. My I guess this is my question, Scott. Well, first of all, it is uh, your question about 
Joy versus Leslie and who's more conservative is funny because, you know, four years ago, Joy got more votes than Stitt did, right? right? And But I don't think right. Joy, no one would say Joy was more conservative than him back then, right? Sure. So it, there is, to Bailey's point, like some difference based it's, on it's, office. It's not apples to apples when you're comparing different races, but. But I, yeah. But I think it's a good uh, thought exercise. Now, I will say about straight ticket voting, if we didn't have it, right? So Oklahoma is one of only seven states that still allow, or three states? I think it's seven states. Very few. Very few (laughs) um, that still allow it. um, And I just looked this up. I think it's seven. Um, There were like four other states that got rid of it in 2020 and one that brought it back. Um, But anyway, very few states have it. It's a trend that's going away. Almost every election cycle, fewer and fewer states use it. If we didn't have it, I am. I think a great number of those people who voted Republican would still vote Republican, right? Like straight ticket voting is a way to do it. It's a macro. It's a way to do it more quickly and easily. What I think we would see, and actually I did some research on this yesterday. Um, there is some research that shows that when you don't have straight ticket voting, you have more incomplete ballots because people just don't vote in all those races, right? Absolutely. So, so could that have made the difference that fewer people would have voted in the governor's race if somebody didn't well, I wonder, mark straight ticket? Yeah. I mean, I think they would probably have voted in the governor's race, but fewer folks would have voted in the labor commissioner yeah, race. Yeah, yeah. Like the, yeah. the roll-off would be yeah. would be higher. People, would, people wouldn't vote in yeah the, some of the you know, more esoteric – offices and yeah i mean we see this because people who vote straight ticket then often don't vote for like judicial races that are nonpartisan or state questions or whatever if it ain't partisan i don't want to vote for it yeah well i think it also depends on what that voter was going to vote for Mm -hmm. right because if it was somebody who had an education lens and they wanted to show up for the state superintendent's race that was also contentious then maybe they would have mark that and left their ballot yeah. you know so it that is a definitely fair point that even removing straight ticket voting will just make voters more selective of how they vote on their ballot yeah mm-hmm. i'd love to get rid of straight ticket voting but i'd love to get to i'd, I'd like if you if you had asked me to pick would i rather get rid of straight ticket voting or would i rather have open primaries i'd rather have open primaries absolutely i, think. I expect uh, our listeners are going to hear a lot about open primaries in the next uh, <laughs> couple of years because what, what makes you say that Andrew? because there's a lot of people working on it and i think you're not alone um that it is a big deal and i and it would it would essentially make straight ticket voting moot like it wouldn't you wouldn't have the option because it wouldn't matter right i mean the cornerstone of democracy is competitive elections and we can't have competitive elections in the current design of our election infrastructure Mm -hmm. so we have to make those changes of things like open primaries to incentivize good people to feel like they have a shot because i feel like there's so many people who won't run right and even looking back at who was even going like we had no idea even what like well over a year ago who's even going to run for certain seats because mm-hmm. some people are just like that's too difficult or feels too uphill or it feels like this person's automatically going to win because of the way our structures are set up i mean i yes agree 100 percent. however i would also say that the premise of your statement presumes that most people in this country which it's true right now that a majority of people in the country would like us to remain a democracy however there is a <laughs> there is a growing contingent of people who are like you know what maybe democracy ain't the way um you know i mean this is what we're 
Like this is what we're we're seeing. People on with, both sides. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm, saying like, that, I'm, not, I'm not trying to both sides. I mean, I'm saying there are people who think an autocracy or is preferable, and there are people who think a uh, like a more socialist well, regime is sure, sure. preferable, right? Sure. But I feel but, I mean, like at a, least a, in this context, a lot of people see how what we have now is not working and i think that leads to people's frustrations of i mean let's for sure just throw it all out but i think what you're saying i mean what what my concern is my concern is that the ron DeSantis model is going to continue to continue to spread right and if you mm-hmm. look at what if you look at what DeSantis is doing in florida mm-hmm. um and he is modeling it after what victor orban has done in hungary which is essentially victor orban has come in who who was a legitimately like elected politician but who has said not only is it acceptable to use my like my power, it is acceptable to use my power as a government official and use the government to further not just my policies, but my political ends. It is acceptable and appropriate. And and in fact, what we should do is when we are in power, we should use the government to make it harder for opposition to take power away from us. Mm-hmm. And that is what that that is what scares me, right? It is because and the argument goes, and this is people and this is again, this is not like conspiracy theory. There are mainstream, well read uh, conservative thinkers, speakers, and writers who are putting this out there. You can read Rod Dreher talks about this. The Claremont Institute talks about this. People at the Federalist Society talk about this. There is a growing contingent in American conservatism that says, well, the left, the woke people, whatever the hell that means, right, the, they have taken over everything. They've taken over the universities. They've taken over the media. They've taken over big tech. They've taken over entertainment. They've taken over sports. The only thing we can do is take power in the political institutions and make sure that we don't let it go because that is the only thing we have left. And the only way that we can, quote, fight the war, and this is how they talk about it, the only way we can fight the war is to entrench ourselves in government and political institutions because everything else has been lost. Scott, you're absolutely right because that's exactly what led to Ryan Walters winning by such a wide margin that was the playbook that he did the entire campaign trail it was sitting in the car talking about wokeness and creating this them versus us and here's how we will win and that resonated Mm -hmm. especially in the rural parts of the state right Mm -hmm. so in oklahoma city and tulsa not as much because Gina Nelson won those areas, but in the rural parts of the state, his campaign tactic resonated. Which is so really so true. Yeah, I, I agree. It's interesting because you know I heard a lot of folks that believed that he would lose the rural areas because of his pro voucher plan. That he's like that people say, no, rural folks know that it's bad for their schools, and I I think Scott, to your point earlier, I think that partisan divide was. A stronger force, right? Um, we, we need to move on to upcoming elections um, because it's always election season in Oklahoma. But I do have a quick quiz for you guys, which I've calculated the turnout by county, right? Overall voter turnout in 2022 by county. What do you think was the lowest county? Tulsa. Bailey? Mm, trying to think which is up. Somewhere in northwest Oklahoma, I'd say maybe a, a panhandle county. Um, 
Bailey, you'll be sad to know that it was Comanche County. Wow, not my Latonians. Now, guess. Oh man, guess how low? Statewide was at fifty point two percent. What do you think? Oh, thirty-five. Thirty-five. In Comanche County. Uh huh. Twenty-seven point five. No, it was uh, thirty-nine point two. So oh, not that as bad, okay. but still, yeah, it's pretty substantially low. lower. Now, which county was the highest? Oklahoma. Oh no, that's a bad guess. I take it back. I retract. You're playing this game like my kid. <laughs> Making up the rules. I mean, where's the deep, deep red county? I don't know, uh, like Atoka. Okay. Maybe. Although I think they're still technically blue. Maybe Canadian County. It was major county, um, which is. I mean, I'm sorry, I said Canadian, but I meant Cleveland in my head. Well, you'd be wrong either way. Well, um, <laughs> I, I said Atoka. I said Atoka, but I meant major. <laughs> in that case, uh, what do you think the turnout was in major county? Seventy-five percent. Seventy-five percent, Bailey. Sixty. Ooh, sixty point three. Bailey wins the prize there. Um, major county is uh out west ish right it's fairview um it's kind of uh northwest of oklahoma city i guess that's probably considered northwest between enid and woodward right i know my city geography in oklahoma pretty well i need to learn my county geography you should here's the deal though right so congrats on major county for i don't know where my applause button is but uh, congrats on them for having the highest turnout percentage however there's only 2700 votes cast right so like as I say all the time, like when you see a map that shows the colors of the counties, red and blue, blah, blah, blah. Remember, not all counties don't have the same population, right? right? It varies widely. Uh, and so when I was calculating this, the numbers, I was like looking at the population, the number of registered voters in each county, um, and and then the number of votes cast. And then this major county is not the smallest, but... It is one of the smallest. I mean, like Roger Mills County only has 2,300 registered voters in the whole county, right? Like that's not very many people in the whole county. Are there any below that? Oh, yeah. Harmon County has 1,400 registered voters and 650 were cast. So their turnout was less than half, but they're just a drop in the bucket. As As compared to, let's say, Oklahoma County, which has roughly 450,000 registered voters, and our and our turnout of two hundred and twenty three thousand. So we were also below half. Still, I mean, turnout. I'm very fascinated as to what led to Comanche County's incredibly low turnout this election right? cycle. I mean, I was like there's scrolling a military through. base. Mm-hmm. I'd say Comanche County probably has is among like the top 10 counties in population right Mm -hmm. um so it is kind of jarring to hear that turnout was that low yeah sixty thousand people and only twenty three thousand votes cast i need to spend a little more time back home yeah baby what have you been what have you been been doing (laughs) yeah it's my fault (laughs) i have a uh i have a map somewhere oh here it is it'll take a minute to pull up but i mapped it out to kind of see like if there were trends right and it does seem that like southwestern oklahoma was lower than other parts of the state but um really interesting when you kind of dig into the and i know candidates made visits to southwest oklahoma so Mm -hmm. i'm sure that the stitt campaign made its way down there same thing as the hoffmeister campaign and i know that because my mom mentioned you know a few of the visits that 
happen by candidates. And so that is an interesting perspective of. But does it, does it, does it, does it matter? Does right? it motivate people to turn out? Yeah, that's a great question. Right. Like really, like do campaigns for statewide office in Oklahoma right now, do they matter or is it just a function of R's going to vote R's, D's going to vote D's, and like you need to have you, you need to have more people on your team if you want to win. They and do the matter show. every four to eight years, though, because they do matter who's going to be elected in an open office, right? You think so? So who, I mean, we had around the same time of President Trump's first election that whole playing field of like 70,000 people running in that primary and then same thing in Oklahoma it mirrored very well of you had all of the power players that you figured there was like somewhere sure. what eight to ten people running for so the in gubernatorial pr- race in primaries in primaries they absolutely matter they matter yeah. a lot but after the primary on the general election ballot at right now in Oklahoma for for governor for United States senator um, does it does it even matter whose name is on the ballot or is the only thing that matters the party I feel like there is a compelling case to be made that you could put I mean right you've got you you could not ask I I don't think for a more you know moderate or even conservative democrat than joy hoffmeister you know i mean like let's let's call a spade a spade she's republican right <laughs> like right you had a republican running in the general against another republican for governor and she got beat by 15 points in the general not even in the primary mm-hmm. right and so and so tell me if that being the case who is the democrat in oklahoma who can win the governor's mansion against literally any Republican? Mm-hmm. These are points well taken. Because I, I mean, I just, I'm, I'm racking my brain. I don't know who it is. Yeah, you know what I mean. I think, I think that highlights why open primaries matters, right? Absolutely. And here's the deal: because I mean, we can't change the infrastructure to have competitive elections otherwise. No, and at the pace that uh, unaffiliated or independent voters are growing, right? Yeah. Um, in the next, oh, I forget how many years I. I just closed that tab, but it won't be very long before um, independents are the second largest voting block in Oklahoma, right? So right now it's Republicans um, have like 50%, Democrats have like 30%, and um, independents have like 20%-ish, but those two are getting closer and closer together. Um, And I think we should expect that, I mean, in the next five years maybe, um, that they, that will, those things will converge. And then, I mean, right now we already have roughly half of the voters in the state who don't get a say, like don't get to vote in some of these primaries. And we had statewide elected races that were decided in the, in a partisan primary. And I, and I will say, I guess my point that like the campaigns and the candidates don't matter as long as we are sitting at 50% turnout, I think that is true. If you can if you can bring those other 50% in, if you can bring half of those 50% in, then I think maybe it matters a lot, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Then I think maybe it matters a lot. Um, but that's, that's 
that is a that is a challenge because is are those fifty are, is that fifty percent who are they are they are they people that are more inclined to be conservative and and join and, 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 and vote with the arts are they people that are more inclined to be progressive and vote with the Dems are they more independent minded people or are they people that just don't care that much about politics because they don't think that it affects them Mm -hmm. and so really ideologically you can't really guess where they are because they don't know where they are right well and you know even if every every single democratic voter in oklahoma that's registered turned out to vote right republicans they would still win the the dems would still lose right like the republicans would only need like 55 percent to win right so like it's not on on pure registration right now obviously no mm-hmm. party turns out but it does and we've seen and i mean in 2018 kendra horns race in cd5 right like she received she won not just on democratic votes but on independent and republican votes as well right, right. and i think in areas where the voter makeup is more competitive it makes a bigger difference and right let's not forget there are in oklahoma there are a million ish people who are registered and do not vote and another 800,000 to million people who are not yet registered, right? Like there's an enormous potential. And due to the way redistricting happened this year, you even have people who live in the same city who don't even have the same congressional representation. So what happened in the Kendra Horn race Mm -hmm. is nearly impossible again in CD5 because of the way that things were well, because they put the Plaza District and Guyman in the same congressional We're in district. CD3 right now. Right. We're at, we're at 6th and Classen, right? Right. In the middle of Oklahoma City. Right. Right next to the jail. Right. And we are in CD3 just like Guyman. But this is this is to your point Bailey, like where does the money go? Take that 50 million, okay? And and don't use it to buy TV ads. Give it to us, okay? <laughs> and I will quit my job. And and, and, and we Hawaii. and we can go register some voters. You know what I mean? But I mean seriously, imagine instead of fifty million, instead of fifty million on ads, I mean register 10, and activate, yeah. Ten ten million. Put ten million into voter registration, a a a legit get out the vote effort, right? Precinct organizations. Like it takes time, it takes time and it takes money, but take ten million bucks. And put it into that, and I'm not saying it changes the outcome, but I, I will bet that at that point you can make elections a lot more competitive. And you can probably do it without open primaries, but I think to get open primaries, that is the kind of effort that we need. Andy right? and I were just talking about earlier, it just kind of feels like deja vu hearing these conversations <laughs> on the pod because when you're, you're spot on, Scott, that if we want – different outcomes, competitive elections, etc. voting trends can't be once every four years. Like we can't just wait and pay attention and wanting things to change over time. It takes intentional effort on a consistent basis. And that investment in GOTV voter registration has to be an all the time thing. Like we can't forget about those local elections and other things that may be in the pipeline. It has to be this continuous notion of civic participation. And so that is incumbent upon, you know, the voters and the infrastructure, but even like, you know, all of us in this space to have that different lens of not thinking about 2024 and more so thinking about, you know, next week. 
That's right. <laughs> or more specifically, Valentine's Day, right? Valentine's so um, this Day. is that was an excellent segue. We've only got about fifteen minutes left today, but um, the the next election for most Oklahomans will be on Valentine's Day. What a romantic way to celebrate the holidays by going to vote with your boo. Show your love for your state. That's right. That's right. By showing up to vote. It's did OK Ledge Valentine's even happen this year? They I don't remember. I don't remember. I don't remember it this yeah, year. I usually remember it. It happened. Everyone's jaded. We're all like on the rebound. Um, <laughs> I. Uh, but yeah. So in February, on February fourteenth, there will be an election in a lot of cities. Not every city, but um, it is a uh, in like, like Oklahoma City. There's I think four Oklahoma City city council wards that are up for election. Yes. Um, very important. And we're not going to go through all the candidates, but uh, OKC Free Press uh, has an excellent rundown that I will link in the show notes that goes through all of the candidates who have filed for these. Um, if you, some of the incumbents, right? So uh, James Cooper in Ward 2 is up for re-election. Um, who are the other incumbents? Is there anybody else that's up? Joe it's Beth Hammond Joe Beth, yeah. um, is up for re-election. Mark Stonecipher is up for re-election. Um, maybe it's just those three. Yes. All right, just three wards. Because um, two, five, and eight, right? Um, and I believe but, Ward Five Greenwell no, has five announced he is not filing for re-election. And oh, he's not running that's again, right, so open seat. that one will be an open seat for Ward Five. Interesting. Um, so we'll see. So candidate filing was in December, and the election will be on Valentine's Day. In each race, I think in almost every race, there's more than one candidate. If one candidate receives more than 50% of the votes, they win. Um, but if they don't, then the top two, this is already a top two system, top two go to a runoff in April. And it's likely that in many of the races that there will be an April race due to the number of people who are running. Right. So, um, But that's not it that's not the only election right um, yeah if you live in oklahoma county you will for sure have an election because governor stitt declared the election for filling the oklahoma county clerk seat in february as well so february 14th there'll be an election for that and then april for if there is a runoff is february 14th the weed election that's march 7th uh, good question Oh, that's Ashley's birthday. Is it really? Yeah. Well, there you go. Um, yeah, so. And county clerk matters. Yeah. It's a really important role, especially because they have a seat on the county budget board, which makes decisions for our entire county. And so in yeah. addition to our records and that accountability, um, they also have that capacity as well. So. We, we got to show up for that race. We we could have a whole podcast on this, and I think we have actually. But man, it never ceases to amaze me how powerful county officials are in Oklahoma. Yeah, they're yeah. like they're like like especially out in the more rural areas, they're like freaking kings. Well, so that's uh, and they have or, professional or, or, or queens, staff or queens, right? Yeah, that's right. Well, and that's on my list for twenty twenty three is an episode. Um, there's a, a a guy that was the chief prosecutor for the county commissioner scandal back in the seventies and eighties, right? Um, and he recently wrote a book. He was on the OK History podcast a while back. And it was fascinating because that was the county commissioner scandal is the largest political scandal in U.S. history. And it happened right here in Oklahoma. A lot of people don't realize. And that's the reason that the legislature created 
the position of county clerk to have those accountability measures and checks and balances of where our dollars are being spent. The largest political scandal in U.S. history occurred in Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. I'm shocked, shocked, shocked to find that gambling is going on in here. So I think he can correct us when he comes on the show, and I forgive me for not remembering his name, but I think um, they don't really know how much money was involved because it was about like hiding money, right? But they estimate it to be around six billion dollars, like, and and with a with a B, with a B right? A so, lot of county commissioners went to jail in the state, like the hundreds, time. right? Because yeah. there's three for every county, so there's 121, hundred and little over that. Um, and so Oklahoma, and by and large, has still not recovered economically from the damages from this county commissioner scandal, because they basically, I mean, this is the 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 Andy notes, the Cliff's notes versions, right? Is that if I'm a county commissioner and I need to have roads done, I tell this guy it's going to cost, like, you know, give me the bid. He says, oh, it's going to cost 50000 I said, oh, 100000 Okay. So I pay you 100000 And he skims off fifty. And you, Yeah, you get the money to actually cost it. You keep some and you give the rest back to me. Mm-hmm. And so they had this relationship with vendors to consistently and regularly overbid. And it was... Like it was also hush money. So every now and then a county commissioner would say, this is wrong. We shouldn't do this. But the vendors would still charge them the higher amount. And so the deal was like, either you get the kickback and tow the line or you don't get the kickback and I get extra money. But there was like no we're, accountability. We're not, we're not going to do it ethically. Right. There's no <laughs> option. And, and in states that have counties run like this with county commissioners – this is the norm. It's happened in other states. It happened the worst here. A lot of I think Texas used to be this way, and they switched to have a more like chief executive kind of county format, uh, or a little more of a board. Uh, and Oklahoma has not got there all the way. We still have this county commissioner. There's more checks and balances now, like Mailey mentioned, but it is a fascinating, terrifying story. So, needless to say, don't sleep on your county politics. Those matter just as much too. Mm. You got to show up to those elections and make sure. That you're electing people who have integrity and are going to serve your counties. But do you know who's not a county commissioner? Who? Uh, Kevin Calvi. <laughs> do you know? Do you know who's not holding any elected office in Oklahoma right now? Kevin Calvi. Do you know who lost his uh, his race by double digits? Was it Kevin Calvi? It was Kevin Calvi. <laughs> Double digits. That's right. Um, we should have the new DA on sometime. Vicky Behena. I'm sure she'll come on the show. Um, all right. Well, it's time for us to wrap up. But we're going to end with a very important and sad announcement. Yes. Bailey. I mean, it's, it's, it is sad for us. Yeah. It's yeah. sad for us. Yeah. It is very exciting for Bailey Perkins Wright. Well, this, listeners, will be my last podcast episode as a co-host. So it's been such an incredible journey and honor to talk with you most weeks. (laughs) Not every week, but most weeks. Often. 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 That's a great word. Um, And to hear what you have to say, even when I'm in the community, one of the things I love most is I'll meet someone and they say, oh, yeah, I listen to the podcast. Mm -hmm. And it feels so good to know that people across the political spectrum um, around our state are listening to what we're contributing and they're paying attention to want to know more about engaging civically in, in Oklahoma. So I'm so grateful for 
each of you. I won't be a stranger, so this won't be the last time you hear from me on the pod, but just as a regular co-host, I'm taking a different job. So my time with um, Oklahoma Food Banks, with Regional Food Bank of Oklahoma, Food Bank of Eastern Oklahoma, is coming to a close. So I am grateful for you all. Can can you can you share yet what you're going to be doing? I can. I'm just not on the pod. Okay. Okay. Fair <laughs> enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. Well. But it will be um, a, a career change. So I'm I'm grateful for it. Well, so. it's been amazing having you. Thank you for all of the joy and knowledge and voice that you brought to the show. It will not be the same without you. Well, thank you, Scott. Thank you both, you and Andy, for giving me a chance and talking with y'all of course we'll do a group hug after we're done that's all we have for this week uh scott and i are going to take a break and do some retooling and some refreshing before we get ready for session in january but we will be back we'll be back in a few weeks uh scott thanks for being here today the show bailey thanks for being here the last few years oh thank you andy listeners thanks for hanging with us for this uh i think four years now we've been doing this uh will we see you in uh whatever this thing you're five now What's it called when it's like a reunion and a farewell tour at the same time? I think we're back to share now. Okay. 